Hello, and welcome to another episode of Broadband Conversations. This is Jessica Rosenworcel, and I'm a commissioner at the Federal Communications Commission. This is the podcast where I get to talk to some amazing women from across the technology, innovation, and media industries. You get to hear what they're working on, what's on their minds, and what they think is the next big thing. Now, today is special, so let me introduce my guest. I'm joined by author, actress, producer, and director Justine Bateman. Now, you might know her because for years she graced the television screen as one of the members of the cast of Family Ties. And more recently, she authored a book on fame called Fame, The Hijacking of Reality. But what makes me most excited about this conversation is that Justine also has a computer science degree and she's an activist. And specifically, she's been a forceful advocate for net neutrality. Justine, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Commissioner. And I, uh, like I said earlier, I so appreciate um, your position as a tent pole in the uh, net neutrality tent. All right. I appreciate that. So how about we jump in, but I'm going to set the stage. It was about a year ago that the FCC voted to roll back our net neutrality policies. And for the record, I voted against that decision because what it did was it allowed our broadband providers to block websites, slow online services, and censor online content. Now, you've been involved with net neutrality since the beginning. And in fact, you were a witness before the United States Senate at a hearing on this subject a few years ago. I know you've written about it this topic, you've stayed engaged and talked about it before, but why did you first get involved in it and what keeps you engaged? Well, I think really just it's a, to me, it's a, it's a, um, it's an issue that has nothing to do with, with political parties. It's, it's, it's really just saying, do you want your ISP, whoever you pay to get and pay a lot of money, frankly, sometimes, have an internet connection do you want them to control what's being seen do you do you want to do you want them to control what you're seeing and also do you want them to control what message you're trying to get out there and um and yeah that's that's great that you remind me that you, you you were there and um on our side of saying we need net neutrality we need all these packages to be treated neutrally um was somebody from some gun organization there was me it was Lawrence Lessing, who's a uh, copyright or fair fair use copyright lawyer. I'm sure, probably not getting that right. That's right, and professor. The president of the Writers Guild of America, and then some conservative moms group. So you see this like group of people that don't have a lot of in common, but we all want our messages to go out. And then on the other side was just a lawyer who was representing the group that was representing. So three people removed now the ISPs. Yeah. And I remember one of them that, so that particular guy said, well, we need to get rid of net neutrality. We need to not have it because uh, we need to be able to innovate. And um, Senator Kerry at the time, I got a big intellectual crush on him after this. He took a beat and then he looked at the guy and he said, you don't expect anyone in this room to believe a word you're saying, do you? Gosh, I thought that was great. Yeah, no, I'm um, quite a hearing. Um, you don't forget those moments when you get to see them on Capitol Hill and you sit at the witness table. Now, that was a few years ago, but last year, the FCC revisited this issue 
and millions of people wrote this agency, which was kind of crazy to me because I didn't even think that millions of Americans knew what this agency did or where we were located. But I'm curious if you look back on that vote and all the noise that was made about a year ago, were you surprised that so many people were fired up about this? No, I'm not. I'm more surprised that we have um, an arrangement wherein five people, two of them thankfully see the light, but that five people got to vote on that issue and decide whether or not American, all American citizens, all 300-something million citizens are going to have their ability to access information and communicate online severely limited. I don't really, um, I'm sure there's a lot of legal reasons why, but that also sounds like an anathema to life in America. You know, I was there. I can tell you it was really dramatic and really extraordinary that this agency was making that decision for so many people across this country. Okay, so let's, let's take a turn. You've had this long career in the creative arts, and at the same time, you got a degree in computer science and digital media management. So let's just talk for a moment about that, because I think that's an awfully cool fact that most folks won't know about you. So tell us a little bit about your studies, and then... As a result, do you have any advice you'd offer to girls or young women thinking about pursuing further education or a career in technology or media or engineering? Sure. Um, I went into the freshman to UCLA at 46. And, um, you go. That's awesome. I was, yeah, it was, it was a great experience. That'll be my third book. <laughs> um, and uh, it was really, um, I was putting together a lot of projects that combine technology and entertainment. And... I just saw that it was going to be a better way for me if I just got a computer science degree and um, got these projects put together myself because I, I found uh, that I was a little, little, little ahead of what people were ready to get on board with, even though all I needed was their money. I didn't need anything else from them. Anyway, nonetheless, that got me to school um, and... Uh, yeah, and I got the computer science degree and, and had a, you know, UCLA is a fantastic school, and I'm very fortunate to have been accepted there. Um, and what I would say to women who want to get in tech, you might be somebody who does like breaking things, but if you happen to be one of the many females who have been taught their whole lives, like, don't make a fuss, don't make any noise, don't break anything, Go study tech and break something. <laughs> I like Just that. I break like it. That. Don't like intentionally try to break it because that's what you have to do with your programs. You have to try and break them. You have to imagine. I used to always imagine that some eight-year-old boy is getting on to my program and trying to mess with it, trying to put in wrong data, trying to somehow make it do something it's not supposed to do. So try to think that way. If I were an eight-year-old boy and I was trying to break something, what would I do here now? Okay, that feels really... I have an eight-year-old boy at home, so I have to say that feels incredibly real, as does the <laughs> capacity to sort of mess around with things. But um, what kind of projects did you do? Is there anything that you want to highlight or talk about? Well, the, the, the thing I'm most interested in, the reason I went, was combining, like I said, tech and entertainment. Um, and it's basically this principle... 
everything on your phone, just talking about touch screens for now, you know, everything on your phone or your iPad, or if you have, if you do have a touch screen um, desktop, um, all of your apps are geared towards the functionality of that touch screen. It uses the functionality. So we'll just talk about the, the touch screen now, right? All your apps, you can swipe, tap, all these things, and, you know, go up, down, every, you can, and you can tap and go deeper into certain situations, uh, you know, depending on the app. And everything uses this functionality, except when you get to one of your apps that is uh, filmed entertainment video. All you can do is pause and play. And I always saw that as a, um, a real um, absence of exploiting the technology that's available. It's just You're just leaving it on the ground. So all the projects that I have, um, not all of them, but a lot of them um, actually use that functionality so that um, so then in that way, I don't have to structure my scripts in a line like you have to do for a linear format, which is basically all we, all we watch, almost all we watch. Sure. You know, you watch something from the beginning, and then you see the middle, and then you see the end. And that's because of the technical restriction of the delivery. When you go to a movie theater or you watch something on TV or on your phone, that's a limitation. But with touch touchscreen technology or augmented reality or something, I don't have to write a script in a line. I can write it more so in the shape of a tree even and not choose your own adventure, but rather the story is that big. Just like, you know, I'm in my house and there's other people in the house and there's things that they're doing and you're in your office and there's other people in your office and there's things they're doing and there's lives that they're living. And really, this is a really big story. It's not just you and me talking. So it's, with the technology that we have now, we can really explore all of that. And, you know, it's a more complex story. It's more complicated for the writer. But I love challenges like that. If I take it back to what I've seen before this agency, if you look at the history of moving from radio to television, in the early days on television, people just got on television and read like they were on radio. It was as if exactly. the extent of the medium wasn't fully apparent to them. And it took some time for people to realize that there was this whole range yeah, of exactly other the... artistry that was available in this new medium. And I think we're starting in early days to try to, you know, understand what digital technology can do for storytelling. But we really haven't made it very far just yet. So let me just take a turn. And we're going to go from, like, the future of digital storytelling to publishing a book. Because I know you just published a book. And it's about fame. So just tell me a little bit about the themes you're exploring in that work and also how technology played a role in its creation. Sure. Um, Well, the book is called Fame, and and it's about the life cycle of fame, um, the beginning, the equilibrium, and then the slide, and then the descent, because very rarely does anyone ever talk about the, the latter portion of that life cycle of fame. And that's something that's really interesting to me. So I, I take the reader, because I have experienced that entire life cycle, I take the reader on an emotional um, time, time travel. So I want them to know, kind of like a ghost of Christmas past, where I'm going to take them back into all of these 
these situations at different points in that life cycle and tell them what it was like on the inside. And then also my theories and sociological theories on why the public behaves the way it does at different points of those life cycles. For example, when you're on the backside in the post-fame portion of the life cycle, why does the public react in an, in an angry manner towards you? And I always found that really interesting when I experienced it or in a, in a, shame, in a shaming manner. So it's explored in that. And then what I also wanted to look at was, it seemed to me that around the year 2000, our society put fame and celebrity on, on an extremely high pedestal and, I, and became, started to become very obsessed with it. And I wanted to see what was the perfect storm right there that, that seemed to cause that. Now, I like to ask a few questions at the end. So okay. these are the questions I ask everyone before we close out. And the first is I'm going to ask you to go into a Wayback Machine. Tell me if you can recall, what's the first thing you did on the Internet or online? Um, okay, I remember this is before Google. You couldn't just search for your favorite subject or find a website that was interesting to you. You had to know what the address was. Right. And so right. I, I wish I still had it. I had a yellow pages for internet at, for websites and oh. I would either go through that or I would go to the Webby awards and I would look at who had won and I would go to those sites and check that, them out. Okay. That's a very cool answer. I've been asking a lot of people that, but the idea that you went to a directory of the best stuff online, that's a, that's a, that's yeah. a really good answer. Okay. So now I want you Thank to go God for the Webby awards right? back then. Some, I, I, I mean, somebody I was doing how it. to get them. All right. More mundane. What is the last thing you did on the internet? Last thing I did was um, binging on all the fantastic um, films on filmstruck.com because they, are, um, they have a new owner and they're unfortunately being shut down. Um, so I'm trying to see everything on my watch list. And they have the Criterion Collection and just some of the, some of the best films that have ever been made in history. And it's a real shame to see them go. But it's so cool you get to call them up right now. Just try to imagine 10, 20 years ago where this entailed, you know, going to the local video store and pulling everything off of a, a shelf. Um, I'm still in awe that I can call up old movies that I recall never having had the opportunity to watch. It's, um, I'm just hopeful that more of those sites, they multiply so that we get access to more of the great entertainment from over the last several decades. Yeah, it's really tremendous. I agree. All right. Final question. But you know what? I'm going to start this with a look back at your Senate testimony from a decade ago. And at the time, you said something that I think is so great. You said, in entertainment, I believe we're on the verge of a creative renaissance, and the Internet is the grid upon which the renaissance can rest. I think that's awesome because subsequent history proved you right in so many ways. So no pressure or anything. This is your chance to look ahead once again. What do you think the future of the Internet and digital life should look like? Of all the utilities that we use, um, I just, to not classify the Internet as, as one of those, um, the, the logic escapes me. Um, it is that it connects us to 
questions about our health, our connection with our um, our insurance companies, our, um, our all of our commerce, our banking, our social life, um, our entertainment, um, our education. So it's, make it it's as the most far-reaching utility we have, and so I, I, the future of it, I just feel make it open. It's it's so necessary that it be open. It's so necessary not impinge on our freedoms, and we need net neutrality in in order to maintain that. All right, before we go, tell me where folks can follow you to keep up to date with what you're doing. Oh, sure. They can go to, um, well, justinebateman.com. All right. Well, that wraps up another episode of Broadband Conversations. Thank you for being here, Justine. Thank you for all you're doing. And thanks to thank everyone. Thank you. And thank you so much for your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening. Take care.